Blog Talk Radio. Tonight's coach tonight. Frank, you got that a very important coach in the night. Yeah, Tommy, uh, at uh, 321, uh, 20, uh, June 1966, a young baby was born with a smile on his face. 
he was in a grade school. He was an outstanding uh, football player in high school. At, uh, he was an all-state all uh, athlete. Uh, he went on to Sarasota Technical College and got his degree both in uh, medical technology uh, and medical um, and uh, certified nursing assistant. And then he made the big big move to the uh, Sarasota County Sheriff's Department. He served uh, a year and a half in, in the jail as a corrections officer, four years in the uh, in the courthouse as a uh, bailiff, and then was promoted to accreditation manager of uh, the Sarasota Sheriff's Department, Department Law Enforcement part. Um, unfortunately, at uh, 4.50 a.m., uh, 20 June, uh, nine years ago, uh, Bob passed away. Um, wow. One of his accomplishments was uh, uh, actually uh, starting the uh, uh, Fighting Words News Network with uh, his buddies uh, uh, Aaron and uh, Adam Jaco and myself. And uh, so um, on the ninth anniversary, which will be Saturday, um, but Bob's it actually his 54th birthday. It'll be the ninth uh, year, ninth year that we've uh, we've lost him. So I want to dedicate this show to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you, that's hard to believe. That's nine years, Frank. I remember yep. that yep. day. Yep. I think wow. It was so, wow. So awful. I remember. I remember Frank we used to take Bobby to the storm games up there, and we asked Bob, "Do you want a credential?" He said, "No, I can't yell at the players." Yeah, the funny thing about that, Tommy, is that now that you bring that up, he became. Best friends. In fact, we had him living here for a little bit uh, yeah. with the the most famous quarterback that they have, uh, Brett Dietz. Mm-hmm. And uh, the very last game that Brett, that Brett played, um, he he mentioned he was in the backfield. Uh, they were ahead by 20 points. He pointed right. to the stands where Bobby was. Bobby stood up and he threw the ball up to Bobby. I remember that. <laughs> Well, I say he started a, he started a great tradition, Frank, and uh, congratulations to you and to the entire family because I know you're all involved and you've just kept it going now for nine years. And so uh, I salute Bobby, but I also salute you for for carrying it on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I got to tell you, that picture of Bella will brighten up anybody's day. <laughs> that was absolutely spectacular. Made my day. I can tell you that. That was great. It was oh, funny. When I took the first picture, she uh, she was just lounging. And then when she realized I was taking it, she posed. <laughs> we're talking about my, we're talking about my one-year-old right. granddaughter. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I wasn't sure. They know where, yeah, they know where the action is, Frank. Very quickly, they picked that up. Yeah, yeah. that's right. They learn, right? Right, Don? You got a yep. great granddaughter, you know. You got the, uh, you know. I know exactly. I, I don't get a chance to see her enough. That's the only problem. The only way I see her now is on Zoom because of all this, the virus. I can't get back to New Jersey. But uh, great granddaughters now. Uh, let's see, she was born in uh, in December, uh, so she's coming up on what year and a half. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan and Dan and Kathy Baker. Speaking of Dan, they have not uh, even seen. Uh, their grandson, okay, because and they had to uh, get uh, updated the, the diphtheria uh, boosters and everything else. That's amazing what you have to go through today. 
Yeah. Well, it's your fortune to have a Zoom or a Zoom or whatever, and and uh, you get you get a chance to talk to the family, uh, even though you're not there. You get a chance to talk to everybody. So that's pretty nice. That is. Nice. And you know the, the other thing we talk about not seeing people, and and most of our 200. Well, we're up tonight. We're we're broadcasting to 264,612. Wow. Uh, oh wow. And, um, I don't oh, think geez. any of them knew that uh, at uh, 12.01 uh, tomorrow morning, we have an auspicious occasion in the Sarasota area, and that's to be honored by uh, our senior citizen, uh, Mr. Don Henderson. Happy birthday, Don. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. Happy Henderson. Happy birthday to you, sir. It's been an honor. Yeah, the days, are going, the days and years are going by a little too fast, boys. Let's get to the show. Same here. Same here. Oh, hey, Roy, I, don't want, I don't want the show to be over before I'm gone. No, I yeah. want to. Hey, Roy doesn't want to be over until he gets on. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm good. I'm just listening to you guys. <laughs> it's good stuff. Oh, welcome. We're, Roy, you're the best. We're glad you're here. Yes. Well, Roy, I'll tell you, you got an awful lot to talk about tonight. Uh, boy, there's so many things happening in the world of sports, and uh, I, I know we've all, the last few weeks, we've, we've really honed in on baseball and what's going to happen and what is it going to happen in baseball. And uh, uh, Randy, uh, Randy Levine uh, really went at it with uh, the commissioner today, uh, Senator Rubio here in Florida, came out this afternoon and said uh, – they're very, very close. There should be some kind of an announcement tonight. But the uh, commissioner is not sort of going along with that. He keeps saying this may be it. So uh, we're just going to have to wait and see, and we'll get your opinion first, Roy. You know, it's great to hear uh, some good news, actually, even if it is coming from a senator uh, who probably doesn't really know what's happening um, on the inside. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Marco Rubio is just trying to be optimistic, uh but look, and maybe on the other side, on the other hand, maybe he does know what's going on. I mean, certainly, I would think that the governors of uh, Arizona and Florida and Texas, uh, at the very least, may be involved in some of these negotiations. Uh, you right. know, not from a negotiating standpoint, but just updates on what you know what can and can't be done in terms of player protection and that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe he does know a little something. Hey, it, it's it's a little bit of information that we can kind of hold on to and say, hey, maybe we're going to get this done. It's yes. so unfortunate that baseball has squandered the opportunity to start on July 1, July 4th, and now we're looking at July 14th, I think, at the earliest. Um, you know, I think we're almost at the point where, you know, I don't know about you guys, but, I, heck, I don't want a 50-game season, but right now I'll take a 50-game season over nothing. And, right, uh, God, Devine, you know, uh, the president with... of the Yankees, I think he's putting a little pressure right now because uh, he is quoted directly in the post by the uh, uh, George King, and uh, you know he is. He said, "I'm in contact with the commissioner every day. We want this thing to get settled. Uh, get them in the room uh, and and get it settled tonight." And uh, you're right; it's going to be. Uh, unfortunately, if it does come about, it's going to be 50 games. But the problem is, they still haven't ha- held the uh, held the line yet on on the medical. Uh, some of the things that uh, really very very important. Uh, and certainly the medical right now is very important. Yeah, it really is. And it's getting a little bit, you know, I think with each passing day, it's getting, you know, it's, it's kind of like trying to trap a ball of mercury under your thumb. 
you know, think about it. I mean, you, can, you know, it keeps, you know, eluding you. And I, and I think, you know, they think they, they were hoping they would be at one place and they'd be able to do one thing. And now it's turning out that, hey, just as, you know, I think as things are kind of settled, settling down a little bit, certainly in New York and the Northeast, um, even the Midwest, uh, the upper Midwest. So all of a sudden, you know, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Arizona, they're hot spots. And, right. you know, you can argue what the reason and everything else, but the bottom line is, is it safe for the players to go there and have spring training for two weeks? Is it safe for any teams to play in those cities? I mean, so the whole game plan that they initially came up with in terms of how they thought they were going to be able to do this, they may have to scrap it and start all over. I mean, it's hard to know at this point where they can play and, and keep everybody safe. And so I think you're right. The medical is the most important, and it's got to be the most important because here's something else we don't want to have happen. But, you know, it seems like we're getting closer and closer with each passing data, every sport coming back and playing again. But, look, if, if this virus has its way, we, we still may not see anything because it just won't be safe enough. Right. No, I, I agree with it, Roy. 100%. Well, yes, you're right, Roy, especially uh, where it uh, came back up big time, at this time in Beijing, once again, the wet market. And, uh, you know, I just think somebody's they've just got to shut those things down. I mean, because that seems to be where it, it originates more than any place else. You agree? You know, you, you write a well, lot about medicine now. Well, you're, look, at this, at, we are well, well past uh, the point of, of being concerned about where it originates because now it's everywhere. And now it's what, what it's come to now is it's not a matter of where did it start or anything like that. It's a, how are you dealing with it? And mm-hmm. let's face it, this country hasn't dealt with it very well. New York dealt with it extremely well. Um, they, they took it on head on, bit the bullet shut it down, and now you're seeing, I mean, there are, just aren't as many cases there. Florida opened up early, never really took it seriously. Texas was similar. Uh, Arizona was similar. And you see now what's going on in those states. It's getting worse. So how you deal with it now is what is the most important thing. Um, and, and what I'm concerned with, guys, is I don't know that we've had, I, I think just about everywhere where teams are gathering you're starting to hear reports of players testing positive for the virus uh we mm-hmm. just had i think two players test positive here at university of south florida foot uh, with the university of south florida football team which oh, just boy. gathered three, this week. three 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 okay three three and they just they two just at central two at central and three at south yeah there you go and they just started this week and, and, and they've got it. So, you know, the, the Cowboys start getting together, and there's players there. And it's, it's just, look, it's, it's so hard to, you know, to stop. And, it, look, you hope that everybody's just got, you know, flu-like symptoms and nothing serious. And, again, they're young athletes. They, uh, of all the people that could probably, you know, deal with this, they're among them. But still, right. uh, you don't want to expose anybody to this thing. And so, again, we'll just – we can only just wait and see what happens and hope that uh, at some point these numbers start to go down again. Just to add to that, Roy, Houston closed it down 100%. They, they, they shut down the University of Houston. Uh, they shut their practice. and They were one of the ones that wanted to get started very early. Uh, they shut them down. And as you said, the University of South Florida 3, 
University of Central Florida, too. Uh, they've oh. only been in operation for about, what, 10 or 12 days. Uh, and now you're talking about baseball teams and football teams, uh, pros in college. I mean, we're only on the, I think we're only on the cusp of what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be hard. I mean, look, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, we talked about it last week. When, when these teams do get together, somebody's going to test positive. They're going to be quarantined for 14 days. The tracing is going to indicate that everybody else has been around. They're going to have to be quarantined and tested every day. And, you know, shoot, this is the reason they're going to have to have, you know, they may have to have 40-man rosters in Major League Baseball and, and 35-man rosters in hockey is because you could, you could lose seven or eight players in a day. Uh, you know, to this thing having to be quarantined and and can't play, and you got to bring somebody in who can. So it, it's, it's right. really going to be uh, strange. But look, look and, and God, you know, as badly as we want to see sports, you know, it'll be interesting as heck to see how that works out. But you know, I don't want to see that happen because, gosh, you just don't want to see these people put in harm's way. But it just seems like. You know, the, the further along we get, the more likely it is these guys are going to be put in harm's way. And I think that's got a lot to do with what's going on with these negotiations. Yeah, I agree with you, Roy, 100%. Now, what's going to happen with hockey? Because the, the commissioner said July 10th starts training camp. What's going to happen now? I mean, it's a, it's given then the regular season, Stanley Cup playoffs start August the 1st. So I, I just hopefully Commissioner Batman was is doing the right thing right now. All those. Things are breaking out. Like we said before, perfect start, perfect place to have that would be probably Toronto or maybe Buffalo or Columbus, or even Cleveland, for God's sake. You know, just to even have that, you know, neutral sites because the location, nation's best in Cleveland and also in Columbus, even Buffalo. Well, the decision was go, – go ahead, Don. I don't know whether Tommy saw it or not today, but uh, – uh, <laughs> Your, your Islanders have no place to play for this year or next year. Oh. They've shut, they shut the building down, and oh, uh, no. they're doing a re- and the and the new building, which is on Belmont Racetrack. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Belmont coming up later on in the show, uh, the big race there this Saturday. But they've clo- you know, they've because of the construction being closed down, uh, that definitely won't be open uh, next year. It'll be the following year before that's open. So it looks like the Islanders right now are going to be a traveling camp next year for where they're going to play. Wow. <laughs> hey, you know what? Some, some city in Canada will take them because, uh, you know, one of the things that happened, you know, Tommy was, you know, kind of wondering what, what's going to happen with the, the NHL with the coronavirus. But uh, uh, Justin Trudeau yesterday uh, announced that uh, Canada's open, uh, you know, to, to be hub, to have to host hub cities for, uh, you know, for the tournament, if it, uh, if they can do it and if they have it, um, you know, I think they would probably be able to, and that may be, you know, what ends up happening, at least with hockey. I mean, because again, you know, I don't, I don't know what, I haven't seen what the, the cases are like in Toronto, but, uh, or Edmonton or places like that. But I mean, I can't imagine it's, uh, their hot spots the way, uh, uh right. you know, Arizona and Florida and Texas are right now. Right. Exactly. But that'd be great to have a great to have the tournament starting up and training camp starting up is going to be. You always got to, as Tug as Tug McGraw said, and Dave Cash said, "Yes, we can." And you got to believe. You got to believe. We'll get this well, going. I agree with with Roy about Roger uh, Bertordo. I think he's trying every everything he can. But I, they've got. We talked about it last week, Roy and and, and Roger and Tommy and that was and Frank. 
that was the border, you know, getting passports to go back and forth. Uh, are you going to have only Canadian teams that are in the tournament play in Canada and only American teams play in America? Because you got a 14-day, if, if I'm not mistaken, you got a 14-day hiatus if you go across the border uh, before you can do anything. Uh, you, you know, you're in quarantine. So uh, how are they going to, you know, are they going to waive that? What are they going to do there? You know, the good news on well, that you know, time is that, is that it, it can all change in a matter of days. You know, it's not that hard. I'm sure there's going to be contingency plans put in place by everybody that uh, if they get to a point where everybody feels safe and comfortable and they can move, you know, move about freely between the right. two countries, uh, you know, I think you would end up seeing I, – I, I still think, you know, look, if there's going to be eight hub cities uh, or six mm-hmm. or whatever the number is, I, I think Canada's going to have one or two no matter what. It, it only makes sense to me to have one or two in Canada. Um, it's only fair to the Canadian people, of course, and, uh, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, but they'll still have the majority here in the United States. But the good news is they would be able to travel freely if they have to. So um, that would be good. But, again, that's kind of wishful thinking because we just, you know, we just don't know from one day to the next uh, where we're going to be with this thing. You know, a month ago we, we certainly didn't think, uh, we were going to be here and having spikes the way we're seeing them now uh, here in the southeast and southwest in the United States, yet there they are. And, uh, you know, it, it looks like, uh, you know, some other areas up north uh, are, are doing much better. So you just have to wait and see well, again. And well, the Dallas know, Roy, Cowboys, their uh, ace running back, he's already been knocked down too with the virus. And he's yeah. mad as hell that, uh, that they reported it. He didn't want them to report it. Go ahead, Roger. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I was just going to say, you know, it's three, four weeks ago, Roy, when you mentioned a month when the uh, protest started with people interfacing with themselves all over, okay, or almost every city. And I think now maybe the spike, a lot of that is starting to surface, and we were concerned about that at that time, uh, you know, where people were not social uh, distancing themselves. And, uh, you know, I think it all ties in. It's my opinion. It all ties in. And uh, we knew when you do something like this, as long as you stay away uh, and six feet away and and you are very diligent about it. Same thing with the beaches. And we saw it before on spring break. The uh, kids get carried away. They think they're infallible. We know they're not. So hopefully this spike is a result of maybe what went on uh, uh, several weeks ago, and, you know, it'll quiet down. Uh, The other thing is that uh, I think I read that uh, even to go to Maine, if you're coming from New York, you've got to go into a a 14-day quarantine. I don't know whether that's still in effect or not. Well, Roy probably knows this better than I do, but uh, they had a bar here in Jacksonville, I think it is, where the girls all had a celebration. I don't know if it was a birthday or what it was. And 14 or 16 people in there, they closed it down. They, all of them have it. Every one of them has the virus. Oh, well, just take yeah, it, it was, on, uh, right? Yeah, it, it, uh, it was a birthday celebration, uh, and uh, 16, the, all 16 of the people that gathered for this one uh, one person's birthday uh, ended up with the virus, like within two days, and um, showing symptoms, and uh, and were tested positive. And seven people who worked at the bar 
uh, were as well. Now the bar has been shut down. But, you know, again, right. it just that just shows you, you know, how, how, how you know, predictable. Oh, yeah, definitely. We lose Roy? I think we did. Okay. Well, well, I hear Tommy and I hear you, Roger. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the I hope Roy gets back, you know, because um, I I thought, I was under the impression that uh, you, you wouldn't get symptoms in two days. You know the so that that was if that's a fact that's surprising to me. Oh, it's definitely a fact. They had you know it was on the news last night. It was on the news all day today, and it was in the paper. So there's no uh, you know they need oh, no, the no, ball. I'm they not, need... No, I'm not. I'm not disputing that, Don. I'm just questioning. It's something I didn't know that if they had the party and two days later they have it. I'm wondering if they all had it before they ever went to the party right. and they didn't know it. That's what I think. That, yeah, that I can't Roy's tell back, you. guys. Roy's back. Roy, Roy I don't did... know whether you heard my question or not, but the when it was you mentioned or about uh, two days after the party, the people uh, showed that they uh, had the virus. I didn't think that the virus showed up like in two days. Is it possible? They all had the virus before they ever went to the party. Yeah, very possible, and also very possible that um, that uh, you know, in fact, it's it's, it's highly likely that they did. Um, you know, it's probable that uh, these people were kind of hanging out anyway, and you know, and uh, just happened all to get together at this point. But it's just it just shows you that you know, just when you think it's safe to go out again. Uh, if you think it's safe to go out again, you, you can't. And, uh, no. you know, you really got to be careful. I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know how everybody feels about it, but to me, it's, it's not that hard to wear a mask. It's not that hard to keep social distance and that kind of thing. Um, no. it's a smart thing to do. And, 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 you know, here's the other thing. And, you know, think of it from this standpoint, you know, wearing a mask, social distance. Yeah. It may be uncomfortable for you, but, you know, at least think of it listed this way. You're helping out the, the medical professionals whose jobs are becoming more and more difficult. You know, I, I think our role in this thing is, is to do everything we can on a day-to-day basis to help the medical professionals ha- make their job as easy as possible when it comes I to agree. having to take care of the real, the people who really have the serious illness and, and you know, who are really affected by it the worst. And, uh, and, and, and if that means you wear a mask then you wear a mask, I, I, you know, it can't be a political thing. It's got to be because it's the right thing to do for, for your fellow man and uh, and fellow woman and yourself. Just, and and right. yes, and yourself. You know, and just just be smart. Just just be smart because this thing's bigger than you and it's bigger than all of us. And uh, you know, if it could take down, if it could take down virtually every country in the in the world for a month or two, by God, it, it, it'll take down any any single individual that thinks it can take it on and beat it. I just wanted to ask, because you guys are in Florida and you've been open for a while. New Jersey opens up like the salon on Monday. Okay. Wow. And, of course, in Pennsylvania, uh, and I guess in New Jersey, too, we've had, uh, uh, if you have an outdoor facility, uh, you can have uh, dining, you know, where you can sit down outside. But my question is, like with the salons, I don't know if any of you have been to a barber shop since 
they oh. open down there. But I'd be interested to find out how it's structured because I did read how they're structuring it in, in uh, New Jersey. Do they have, like, uh, plastic screens, uh, like, between you and, and the, uh, the, the barber? How does it work? Because I, I have no idea. I actually got a haircut two days ago, guys. I, I, I took the chance. I mean, it had been so long. I've been kind of trimming at my, trimming away at my own hair, having my wife kind of cut at it a little bit here and there every other week and uh, trying to keep it uh, <laughs> tamed a little bit. But I finally, you know, took, took a chance and ventured out. And here's the thing. You have to make an appointment. It's by appointment right. only. When I went in, I was the only person in the building uh, or the only customer in the building. There were two hairstylists and, uh, uh, they were both wearing masks. I certainly wore mine. Uh, made sure I didn't touch anything other than you know what I had to, you know my my credit card and that kind of stuff. And um, so you know, and I and and I was you know I was told before that there's certain things that they have to do. And yes, there's um, there's definitely six feet of distance between each uh, stylist or whatever and uh, each barber. So uh, you know there I think there's just rules that are out there that. Everybody's following, and uh, and that helps. Um, well, they gotta, you know, they've got to clean up uh, immediately afterwards, and they've got to, you know, they got to do it with disinfectant and everything else. So, uh, you know, does it mean does it mean it, you, you can't get the virus? No, I still think it's look. I, I took a chance, but uh, you know, and I'm hoping for the best. But I, I did uh, every safety measure I can think of uh, going in and coming out. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be all right. Well, Roy, Rich Beckham is uh, ready. Car? Wait a minute, Roger. Hold on. We got we got Rich Beckham Go ready to jump in, and uh, so we got to we got to cut into the next segment. Roy, thank you very very much Roy, as thank always. You. you have a great week. Roy, be safe. Always be like safe, to go brother. longer than the time Thanks, we have. Roy, hang on. Bring Rich right Beckham in. Hey, hey how are you doing, guys? Doing great. What's Good. Up? How are you, Rich? Good. Thanks for being Terrific. with us tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. I tell you, Rick is a when Rick Rick guys is the best play-by-play man in the National Hockey League. I know with the Lightning, he was a play-by-play man for the old Hartford Whalers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Guys, he guy he guys he is the best in the National Hockey League. And I'm not. Well, and Tommy, really you're way that. too kind, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we're, we're, you're you're closer you're closer to it than all of us, Rick, and and. Uh, we chatted about a little bit with Roy in the first half hour. We were primarily worrying about the virus and about football and everything else. But uh, as you see the tournament coming along, uh, we talked about the complications of maybe having to cross the border because of, you know, they'd like to play in Canada, but can they play in Canada? Uh, what are they going to do? Give us some of your ideas. Uh, you're closer to it. What do you think is going to happen? Well, it seems that uh, the league is, very interested in having one of these hub cities being in Canada, but uh, as I'm sure you guys have, have covered, just the fact that uh, as it stands now, if you come into the country of Canada, you've got to self-quarantine for 14 days. Well, they're exactly. going to have to bypass that if they're going to make this work. They're going to have to get some sort of uh, uh, pass from the Canadian government to be able to do this. Now, you know, you keep reading and hearing that Toronto is a real strong candidate. They need some city in the east, and and it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that Vegas is going to be the hub city in the west. But, boy, Toronto, I don't know. You guys are talking about uh, trying to avoid, 
you know, a spread of the virus and, and that's mm-hmm. a, you know, and you look at the cities that were impacted the most in Canada when uh, the cases were at their highest and, and most serious cases of COVID-19 in Canada it was Vancouver in the West. And it was, you know, the, the bigger cities in the Eastern part of Canada. So that to me is going to be a tremendous leap if they end up settling on Toronto. Now, uh, you know, we hear that uh, Columbus is a strong uh, candidate. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you're looking at factors um, like, okay, how the, the hotels stack up to be able to accommodate 50 people per team and then 12 teams uh, in your city at one time. You have to have the practice ice, which seems to be a real strength for them because they've got a lot of rinks between Ohio State and the practice mm-hmm. rink attached to uh, Nationwide Arena and so forth. So, that makes them a strong candidate. So I guess within the next seven days, we're going to find out who these cities are, and uh, it's going to be interesting. It's great to see Columbus being there, Rick, because, I mean, you figure it'd be great publicity for the state of Ohio. Eventually, when hockey gets back to reality, you have people from Cleveland coming down and see what's going on with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. My cousin has talked to her, uh, I believe it was yesterday. She says, we make to drive all the way down from here in Ohio down to Columbus to watch a hockey game. Like wow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just that's just unbelievable. Now, and Rick, I got to ask you a question. But one Diana asked this question for you: What was your favorite hockey game that you ever that you ever uh, did the play-by-play for? You? What was the worst hockey game you ever did the play-by-play for? Two-sided question there, Tommy. I'll tell you that. Um, did I tell you on Monday? <laughs> certainly. One of the the best, I mean, I could start at the beginning in terms of uh, the NHL experience was announcing in Hartford. They had a tremendous run in 1986, uh, lost in the seventh game in overtime at the Montreal Forum to the Canadiens. And just that atmosphere of uh, being involved in calling a game in overtime at the Forum uh, was really an exciting uh, experience there. I, I always point to the first game at the Ice Palace as mm-hmm. one of the most exciting because, uh, you know, we're all dressed up. The, the Lightning finally had a home. Uh, it was an exciting game with uh, some of the all-time greats involved in that game, and the Lightning won it. Uh, certainly, you know, from that drive to the Cup in, in 04, uh, right. the last game that we did on Sunshine Network, which was game three of the Montreal series, and, that was the one where mm-hmm. Vinny scores on the tip through his legs in front of the net and Brad Richards mm-hmm. wins it in overtime. You know, those stand out. And, you know, there's a number here in recent years and the runs that the team has had, certainly game seven against Detroit 2015. We got to do that series uh, and a couple of those games in that series. Uh, so I think Rick? that would be a pretty good start anyway in, in running down those games. Rick, I can tell you one of the worst games I ever saw in all my years watching the National Hockey League. And we're, we're all, most of us all from Philadelphia watched the Flyers from the from the outset. But when Toronto came in, I guess what was it three years ago? And I thought it was I thought it was North Carolina. <laughs> all they did was pass the puck back and puck back and forth in front of their net. I didn't even they never. I don't think they went. <laughs> it was unbelievable. We're sitting there, you couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, not one of the better ones. And, and you mentioned, you know, the worst games. And uh, I don't know if Roy is still with us, but uh, certainly Roy Cummings from the years he covered the Lightning could second this one. The Lightning had a trip 
I want to say it was the 95-96 season. That year or the next year, 96-97. Trip out right. west right around Christmas and the first of the year where the Lightning either shut out the opposition or were shut out every other game and lost like 9 nothing in Calgary. Um, <laughs> That's right. You know, then they'd win 5 nothing in Edmonton. Then they'd lose you know, in Vancouver. <laughs> and it was just it was crazy. But uh, certainly that Calgary game stood out. Uh, that's one where you're checking your watch and looking at the clock and when are we going to get out of here? <laughs> well, the other thing is you mentioned Toronto and Trudeau said, you know, he's much like the governor of Florida. He wants things to get back to normal. He wants the teams to be down here. But uh, I, I think the problem may be too is you, know, you got to have, I think you do have to have a site if you possibly can in Canada because of the teams. If you want, uh, you got to have some kind of input in Canada with the teams that are there. Yeah, in a perfect world, that's certainly the case, uh, Frank. You know, you want to want to have Canada represented um, because of the history of the sport and the right. you know intense interest in it and everything else. Um, but it, you know, everything's going to come down to what we're allowed to do. You know, what the authorities think is the safest path. Uh, to accomplish this, and that's to finish the season. So um, mm-hmm. that's going to end up being the determining factor, and you're just looking at how some of these things are viewed and wondering, trying to apply that to what the NHL is trying to do. And and sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's it's possible, but you know behind the scenes they're working extremely hard uh, to make sure everybody's going to be safe and to you know just bring the best possible atmosphere that they can to this and as we enjoy the playoffs. Roger, that's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I I think and I'm hoping and praying that because of the way the hockey players uh, are not on top of each other so much, and the other thing is I think that they had uh, the least cases of major sports, and well, baseball, you know, which had just really gotten started spring training, but was because they have full uniforms on. You know, they have mm-hmm. gloves, you know, and they, they wear masks. A lot of them wear the, the uh, plastic masks that now surgeons are wearing or similar types. And I really, I don't, I, Rick, I like your opinion. I think that's one of the reasons that hockey was least affected. Yeah, uh, I think so. And it's fortunate, I think, in where the teams were playing during that particular span of time, they were very fortunate uh, as was chronicled when the lightning season was paused, it turns out the team had been following the Utah jazz into a couple of cities, Boston and uh, a couple of others, uh, Detroit, another one. And somehow, you know, even though, you know, the jazz were the, the, the NBA team that had the first known cases, um, mm-hmm. somehow that wasn't transmitted to any of the lightning personnel. And we're very fortunate with that. Unfortunately, you know, out in California, it was a different thing where you had Ottawa with a number of players testing positive after playing in San Jose and and just being in that area where there was kind of an intensive uh, spread early on of uh, COVID-19. So uh, I think hockey was very fortunate that we didn't have uh, more mm-hmm. problems with uh, initial infections uh, right off the bat. Rick, I think the other thing that we talked about in the first half hour was that uh, the Islanders are going to be homeless 
next year because uh, that's all Coliseum is, which I think it's shut down to either today or tomorrow. And uh, they're trying to get new financing and so forth. Uh, they have a, a plan to reconstruct, but it's not going to be able to be used next year anyway. And they have no reason to bring the Islanders in. And, of course, what's happening at Belmont Park, uh, the construction has stopped uh, because of the virus. They're not going to be able to uh, obviously complete that in time. So the Islanders are going to be floaters. Yeah, it was very sad to see that uh, happen to where the Coliseum was shutting down. And, gee, you know, uh, as this happens, uh, obviously, you know, the Islanders for now are going to be playing in a hub city and, and it's not going to be impacted, um, you know, as far as this year is concerned. But, you know, next year, whenever it gets started, is it going to be in December? Is it going to be as late as January 1, as Gary Bettman said, would be possible with a winter classic if they had to wait that long? He says they could. Um, you, you just hope that something can be worked out in terms of, as you, you point out, Frank, the financing. Uh, end of things between now and then uh, that right. could allow them to continue because obviously playing uh, out of Barclay Center just was not a workable situation. If it's <laughs> if it's got to be their home until uh, the Belmont uh, Arena is ready, then so be it. But uh, certainly, if there's a way to get Nassau Coliseum going again, uh, that mm-hmm. would be the way to go if they could. Well, let's hope so. Great tradition in that. Building for Nassau Coliseum up there, and that's so. I I love to Rick. I love to see the Stanley Cup won by the Lightning, and as we said, we as we talked over Monday, there'd be no fans interrupting. <laughs> they'd be they'd be skating to a no one in this no one in the stands. That's gonna be awfully awfully weird for the for the whoever wins the cup this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's just so much that, uh, you know, in terms of the path that we're ready to travel that has been, uh, you know, just we haven't encountered anything like this, nothing similar to it, um, that you get to the end of this, and if there are no fans allowed to be in the arena, uh, it, it's going to be amazing to, to just witness this. And, you know, for whoever wins it, and like you, Tommy, we're hoping it's the lightning, that there's some celebratory parade or party or something, but uh, <laughs> how do you put that on, you know, if we're still uh, somewhat on lockdown or, or still certainly social distancing uh, to any degree? <laughs> that's going to be one of the, the strangest <laughs> celebrations in the history of sports, that's for sure. Rick, who has the most questions? Go ahead. Go ahead, Roger. No, I was going to be, uh, you know, I'm, um, I've been to, to with with Tommy and uh, been to uh, several games down there several years ago. The tell the listeners like how you got started. I think a lot of times people are very interested how you got started uh, in broadcasting and doing uh, hockey games. Well, um, actually got interested in it, uh, you know, probably late in in my grade school years. You know, like like any kid at that age, you, you have dreams of being able to play sports. But uh, those ended pretty much uh, in my second year of high school when I was cut for the basketball team. But we had kind of a pseudo-broadcast situation there at the school. And I was able to partake in that and get my first taste of doing play-by-play of basketball and football. Uh, went on to Kent State University. And in the meantime, I'd become a big hockey fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Big Bruins fan. They had won the cup 
1970 with Phil and Bobby and all those guys. And, and uh, so I really became an ardent hockey fan and gravitated toward the uh, club hockey team at Kent State, which had its own broadcast set up. We even had games on cable TV, and this is 1973, uh, wow. you know, just locally on, on local access. But what experience that was. And so I decided pretty much to point into the direction of pro hockey from there and uh, got out of Kent State. There was an opportunity in Rochester, New York, in the American Hockey League, which, you know, already was a pretty storied franchise from its uh, heydays in the 1960s with people like Jerry Cheevers, who would, you know, later on become my broadcast partner. What a thrill that was. But Al Arbor and some of the greats of the game, Don Cherry played in Rochester. He's a legend there uh, on some championship teams. And so to go to a, a sports-rich city like Rochester was a great start for me. Nice city. Did you grow up up in New England? No, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, stayed in state for college. And so we really didn't have much in the way of youth hockey in our area, and I really didn't know anybody. I knew a couple of people in high school who played, but they'd have to travel like 20, 25 miles to to play in a rink until they finally built a rink in in the area where I lived. But uh, uh, I really didn't pay much attention to hockey until I was almost through high school. Well, you Rick mentioned going into this tournament. And I was just going to say, I lived in New Hampshire, 70, 71. So I had the uh, opportunity to watch almost every one of those uh, Bruins championship season games. What an experience. I'm with you. Yeah, it was a mm. tremendous uh, group, a special group of people. Uh, through Jerry and the nine years we worked together on, on Whaler Telecast, I got to meet most of the guys on that 1970 team and and just wow. great guys, fantastic stories, uh, most of which you could tell on the air and some you couldn't. But, uh, I mean, that was just, they were a gas-out game, right? They just had a lot of fun together and uh, won a lot of hockey games, and they were a spectacular team. It was a lot of fun to, to get to know a few of those people. Wow. That's, a, that's a uniform answer. Some we can tell and some we can't tell, no matter what sport it is or where you're traveling. That's you get you get that answer all the time, but who has uh, Rick? Who 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 in your mind has the most pressure, Cooper himself or the team itself, going into this championship round robin, trying to get to the Stanley Cup after what happened last year? I think it's a team wide thing uh, more than just on Cooper. Um, I think he's very solid in terms of his relationship with uh, Julian Breesbois, the general manager, and, and all the way up the chain of command to uh, Mr. Vinnick as the owner. And, uh, you know, he's accomplished a lot in his years here. And I think it's a team-wide situation where, you know, this in one way, you don't want to get too excited about it because, it, you know, there's a lot of the things that have to happen. A lot of winning has to be done between now and, when somebody's carrying around that Stanley Cup, but uh, having stamped those back to 100%, Jan Ruda was playing great before he got hurt. McDonough, Hedman, all banged up. The new guys, uh, Goodrow and Coleman, especially, and, and Bogosian as well, uh, fitting in. It's You're pretty much at all-even ground with, with all the other teams now because everyone's starting from scratch again. Uh, everyone's going to be healthy. But you look at the depth of this team, 
the, what uh, Breezebaugh was able to do in terms of bringing in uh, role guys to help in certain areas where they were, they were weak. I mean, they've got so much skill on this team uh, from the goal on out. <clears throat> skill is never a problem for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but, you know, adding grit, adding, you know, penalty killers and, and uh, matchup guys, they've got a, a real, real solid lineup from top to bottom. So now they've got a chance to be fully healthy and start from scratch and, and uh, you know, hopefully take the bull by the horns. It's going to be interesting with the lightning among those four teams just playing around Robin. There's not a whole lot uh, on the line as far as those games as opposed to playing a team that emerges from a best-of-five series where you're fighting for your life. But then again, it's not much different than a top seed under normal circumstances facing a team that had to go 10-1 and one just to get into the playoffs. Uh, finishing up the regular season, it's kind of the same deal. So we'll see how it plays out. Tommy, hey Rick, want to hold on? Rick, want to hold on for a minute? We got a special guest on there, Mr. Mark Dittler. Mark sure. Walker, we're talking Rick Peckham and and Don Henderson, Roger Hunter, and Frank. A little special guest for you, Rick. <laughs> the best, the best AP writer in town. <laughs> well, uh, I would say, I would say, uh, I'd give Fred Goodall the nod over me, to be honest, Tommy G. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Pretty good. How about yourself, Rick? Good, good. Yeah, it's going to be a season you'll never forget. What a way to wrap up your time, huh? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, hockey. We're just uh, still waiting to find out exactly what we're going to be able to do in terms of covering <laughs> these games from a, a regional sports network standpoint with Fox Sports Sun. Uh, I think probably a lot of people with NBC and and Sportsnet in Canada are waiting to find out how it's going to go in terms of, um, you know, calling games off a monitor, who gets to do what games, uh, how those games are going to be produced. Uh, I think there's a lot of new ideas they're tossing around here to try to personalize the players a little bit if they can and make up for the fact that there are no fans in the building and the crowd noise is not going to be there. So um, it'll be interesting to see how these broadcasts develop for the creativity involved with it. And certainly, you know, I'm very interested like uh, Brian Inglom and chief and Paul Kennedy, Dave Andrichuk, Adam Hall, the rest of the guys at the production side as well, which games are we going to be able to do and how are we going to do them? <laughs> Yeah, think about it, Rick. Your voice is going to be well rested. <laughs> no question about that. You know, outside of yelling four on the golf course, as Tommy can attest, uh, it hasn't really gotten much of a workout. <laughs> we got we got teed up this week, Rick. <laughs> Next week we we'll save time because they. But well, these reason Rick was saying about we paid Fernando Oaks won the best golf course in Fernando County, and the funny story about that, Chief. I remember I said Rick, she's going to cost me out. He cussed me out, but he said, I love this golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tremendous layout there at Hernando Oaks. I'd been out a couple of times earlier uh, before Tommy and, and Brian and Chief and I played the other day, and uh, it's a great layout, a real hidden gem, and uh, certainly a course that everybody should should try as we uh, you know, head through the summer. Always uh, very reasonable and a great snack bar too, Tommy, right? I think you'd Back yeah, me up on that. Two point happy hour. Two point happy hour. Hey, Rick, I'd like to thank you for your time today, and always a pleasure. And then, uh, 
If you want to play next week, I'll get back to you next week. See what time they want to play. It'd be wonderful. I really, really enjoyed Monday. It was the highlight of my summer. <laughs> hey, Tommy, it's great to see you again. And uh, you, you certainly haven't lost it, that's for sure. You're still hitting that ball long and straight. But uh, thanks for having me on. And, guys, enjoyed it. Take care. Hey, thank Rick, you thank so much. much. Thanks for pleasure. pleasure. And we thank wish you, you the uh, best. And, uh, the lightning and uh, hopefully hockey and, and other sports. But uh, it's a real pleasure to uh, get to talk to you tonight. Thank you. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, just give me a call anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Appreciate it. Wow. Well, well Mark, <laughs> it's your stage right now. What do you think about Major League Baseball? When do you think the first pitch is going gonna, is gonna to be coming out in your, in your view, Mark? I would say – Probably, if all the conditions allow it, around June, uh, excuse me, July 19th, spring training maybe about June 29th. I mean, it, there's still some stuff going back and forth, but the fact that both sides finally reached the panic mode, which always seems to be the case in the talks between the MLB owners and the players, it has to get down to zero hour before they right. really get something going, and this and this is the zero-hour week. I mean, if you want to have 60 games, 65, 70 games, you have to have something in place probably by mm-hmm. the end of the month. You know, so they finally got going a little bit, and I think they both both realized that there's only so much both sides can give. But the other point I think maybe finally is starting to set in is if you watched television sportscasts or you listen to radio broadcasts, you have normally – Reporters who are very straight, you know, unbiased, coming out and just saying on the air, I'm sick of this. And all they're doing is reflecting the mood of the baseball fans. I mean, we have people, mm-hmm. 40 million people in America who lost their jobs. Right. Yep. You know, you have millions and millions of people who are going to lose the extra $600 a week. They're getting unemployment compensation from the government at the end of July. I mean, August could be an economic disaster in this country, and we have the billionaires and the millionaires arguing over money. I mean, it just does not play well in any time, but especially in this environment where people are really hurting. We have people dying. We have people who can't pay their bills. I mean, it's just just a really bad-looking scenario again by MLB. And this is the one time, and I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, I've talked with a lot of people, if this season doesn't get off due to money. Now, if we have problems with the virus, people understand that. But but this doesn't get off to money. A lot of people who in the past, you know, the strike of 90, the lockout strike 94, so I'll never come back. I think you will see a percentage, a good percentage of people who are going to write off baseball if they don't get going. And to say one more thing real quick, let's face we have, we have MLB is a new reality they're going to face now. NBA and NHL are going to be playing sports from December through July. So that monopoly, right. you know, somewhat is going to be disappearing that they had over the summer months. So they, so there's, there's right. a, a new thing going on here that they're going to have competition. And if they don't, get something going this year due to money, you're going to have a situation where the NHL and the NBA potentially, if they can play this year, you know, condition permit will be in their second season since the, hmm. since, the, since MLB had played. 
Wow. Mark, I think one thing you have to take into consideration, we've talked uh, a lot of hockey tonight because of of the situation, but I have not seen nor have I heard one word of confrontation between the National Hockey League players and salary and how they were going to put together a tournament to end the season. I have not heard of the NBA. And, boy, nobody complains more than NBA players. I haven't heard anything about salary disputes there going into the mm-hmm. tournament. Only yeah. in baseball and only exactly. both sides. It To me, 50 games is not anything. I would. I don't want to see 50 games. Wait till next spring. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that. I mean that's that's a legit argument. The only thing being, like, I mean, the reason the NHL wants to have playoffs is because that's where you make your most TV money. MLB Absolutely. is the same thing too. I mean, with the expanded playoffs, if that goes through, I mean, you could be talking a billion dollars in TV revenue. You know, so I mean, all sports comes comes down to money. The thing that um, I know maybe Tommy can address at some point with the NHL is the real headache they're going to have is going to be next season with the salary cap and the escrow. Because if things don't get better with the virus, and we wind up having another season potentially with limited fans or no fans, I mean, I don't know how you come up with a salary cap. And you know the players are not going to want to put 40% of their money into escrow. So, I mean – but, mm-hmm. you know, so, I mean, it's it's uncharted territory, and hopefully if we can get a vaccine in a year or whatever, it's something that we'll never have to hopefully experience again because, I mean, this right. is just, I mean, it, it, it's mind-boggling what the last three months have become. Boy, I never well, you know, another, was... another factor that I think we need to talk about is the new MLB uh, national uh, TV contract. Okay, uh, so like you were mentioning, the millionaires, the billionaires, well, they get richer and richer. Okay, uh, yep. from what I've read, what that's an exclusive with Turner for $3 billion, right? Yes. $2.6 billion, I guess. And, and, and with ESPN, and uh, I, I just think it's mind-boggling. Uh, and, and then I guess Fox is involved. I thought Turner had the exclusive, but I guess... There's more to it. Yeah, what, right. Yeah, there's, there's, it's it's almost like the NHL could wind up doing um, long term multiple packages. I mean, you could. They, I mean, let's you know. I mean, the NHL's TV deal when it comes up. I mean, obviously they're going to want to get something like ESPN involved too. But you can still right. work out different things where NBC Sportsnet could have a piece of the pie. Yeah, I mean, like the NFL. The NFL has like what 212 contracts. It seems like for television. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're right. You well, know, I think so, the, the yeah. contract that with Fox is only for the uh, guaranteed is only for the finals, right? In the playoffs, they the the rest of the uh, uh, once they get into playoff competition, it's split up between you know TNT and uh, and uh, Fox Sports One and uh, Fox itself. But I think yeah, only mm-hmm. the finals. Uh, only the finals are, are locked into Fox, you know, the uh, Fox, whatever whatever yeah, channel you want to use. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole yeah. thing. You know, it, it, it's like they, they'll find a way to get all the TV partners involved somehow because, I mean, that's, a you know, a big chunk of the change now. 
You know, Don, you know who we're going to have to go to, our old man, friend, okay, uh, the uh, from Sports Business Magazine, and have him right. on some night so he can uh, b- bring it all together, right? Oh, well, I, as I those say, guys I, know how to I, bring it together. <laughs> yeah. I just, I I have serious reservations that people are going to accept, even to watch the games. I, I don't, I, I, I really wonder how many people are going to watch a fifty-game season. They may watch the playoffs, but I don't, right. I can't imagine nobody in the stands, nobody there. Even the announcers part may not even be there. So I, I just can't imagine turning on a game with nothing going on. Well, the, the only thing I look at is, I mean, you know, take example what's going on here in Florida right now. Well, take a look at what's going on in Arizona, Texas, some other places. People are starting to stay home again because the virus is spiking so badly. Right. right. So I so I think what it does, it opens up an opportunity that somebody would rather watch a baseball game, hockey game, whatever yep. you have it, even with no crowds, than watching reruns on the networks and reruns mm-hmm. of games from 10 years ago and stuff like that. I think, I think what it comes down to that people will watch because – there, you know, it's just something new, something different. I'm not saying you're gonna, <laughs> someone's going to watch all 60 games of a certain team and stuff like that. But I mean, how many times? I mean, it's like you know, it's like NHL Network right now. I just was switching around. They're showing the Muse five goal game for about the 12th time in the last three days. Mm, you're exactly. you're 100 percent right. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm a big game show uh, fan. But the thing is. They haven't been able to do game shows with an audience. Right. So you, now you're getting repeats, where, you know, Wheel of Fortune, and they tell you when it was. It was It was during this season. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, like enough is enough. And, right, and I, right. they had a big discussion. Just let me say one quick thing. I was listening to the fan New York today, and they had a big discussion, and some people were saying, oh, Don, you might have been listening to it. Uh, but they were uh, saying some people were saying they don't care. They're not going to watch. The majority are going to watch because they're starved for for sports. That's why yes. the PGA yeah, Tour exactly. took off. You're exactly right. Well, I think the we're thing starved. that Roger, I think the thing that may help them, and Doug, you might jump in on this one, and uh, gambling, because let's face it, yes. it's now become the biggest part of television is to gamble. Look oh, what absolutely. happened at. at Look what happened to the Colonial last. They had the biggest gambling uh, uh, rock up on the, on the Colonial last weekend, just short of the Masters. I mean, it's unbelievable what's happening with gambling now. So I agree with you. They may be turn it on to watch gambling, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to turn it on just to say I want to see the you know whatever team Baltimore Orioles play. Who the hell? I mean, you can't yeah. tell me they're going to do it. But, you know, in New York City, people will be watching the Yankee games like there's no tomorrow. Right. You're right. You're yeah. right. And and it's going to be diversion so that, like, you've been locked up. You know, you you can't go any really very far. And, uh, you know, and then you get a lot of the seniors, like my aunt and uncle, live in a retirement community. They get out, and then they go meet their kids and the grandchildren, but they're in a parking lot. 
because you're not allowed mm-hmm. to go into the community uh, except to take groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, my nephew t- or my uh, cousin takes groceries to them. So the people want to get out. And the other thing is, Don, on the gambling, they are. Uh, I just read today what the uh, plan is because they're going to start opening up the casinos in Atlantic City. And, and uh, exactly how that's going to work. I guess Hard Rock's going to be the first one. Wow, gambling's the biggest part now. Whether yeah, whether it's a, a draft keg or whoever it is, whether it's the casinos. I mean, right now, baseball all of a sudden is is almost like football. You, you, everybody's betting on everything. How many innings? How many right, innings right. they got to pitch? What does, <laughs> they got? Eighty eight different. They got eighty eight different ways to steal your money. Well, growing up in the bleachers at Wrigley Field in Chicago, uh, way back when you could afford to go to every game, you know, a bleacher <laughs> ticket was two bucks and eighty-two, things like that. I was say you're but, old. You're pretty old. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, just turned hey, fifty-nine. Doug, I, but but to finish my point and... about gambling is, <laughs> there, you know, there was always a lot of gamblers in the bleachers. They they used to actually have a line in the bleachers among the hardcore gamblers on every game oh. for a ball being stuck in the ivy. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. And, the, and, and the, true, the true story was, years later, Sammy Sosa, I think it was Sammy Sosa, hit a ball down the right field line into the corner, and it bounced, and apparently there was like a, a, like a one of those like drain points, you know, to help drain the field, up against right. the wall. The ball went into that hole, and they, they they were arguing to figure out if that if that counted as an ivy ball or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! So you yeah, like I said, I mean, so you're right. I mean, no gamble on baseball, anything. I mean, it's well. Remember the '85 Super Bowl? They had, they had a line on whether William the Refrigerator Perry was scoring a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> and now they bet on balls and strikes. They uh, bet on balls and strikes. Will the first pitch be able well, to throw two strikes in a row? I mean, you can bet on anything. It, it doesn't yep. make any difference. <laughs> and the, the best bet I the best bet I saw in the last by for me the last five years was in the uh, at the at the uh, Colonial this last weekend. A guy bet one thousand dollars on a fifty to one shot. Who won? He won fifty thousand oh. dollars on Sunday. He, he bet fifty. He bet fifty. He bet a thousand bucks on the winner. Don, he had a very good day. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> well, I, I got you know I was in there. I had Spieth all the way. I didn't one. I thought I had a shot with Spieth, and he was he, he was great for me until uh, you know five holes six holes in. Well, well, hey, Doug, are you there? Uh, okay. Did we lose any? Mark? Doug? I'm here. I know I'm here. Good. Okay. Doug, you know, I, just getting back to baseball real quick. One of the great things about the game of baseball are the stories about, you know, off the field, personalities, management. A good friend of mine who's going to uh, be on the show in, within the ne- next few weeks worked for the Mets when he was in college. He's an attorney now, very well known uh, down in Atlanta, Pat White. And he has told me some stories that are just classics, you know, that he was around when he was working for the Mets when he was, like, in college. And, you know, that's what I think is so much part of the culture of baseball 
are the stories. How about what you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the famous story about the Chicago Cubs that you know that only Cub fans would know. The Cubs were in first place in the National League <laughs> during Custard's last stand. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, the National League started in 1876. Right. Was he managing then? He was managing then, and, and Tommy Gilbert was the beat writer. Well, you know, that. what's funny is you, you, know, you talk about stories. Um, I didn't realize this until I, I got a, like an email today. One of the great storytellers. And and Tommy G knows him very well, knew him very well. Turned out it was two years ago today that Billy Connors, the pitching guru, passed away. That's right. Yeah, it was two years, and I mean, I mean this guy. I mean, you, you know, and but like I said, I mean, so, you know, since we're moving, I mean, he had, a, he had his girlfriend. Now us old guys would remember this name. The youngsters don't. His girlfriend, when he played for the when he played his, for the Cubs, was Seika. Wow, you know, but wow. but you know he but but he would I mean he was I mean he always would tell seeing a Derosier he always told you know Derosier story mm-hmm. he was pitching in '67 with the Cubs, and Derosier told him, "Hey, you're going to be my closer." So they're playing the Pirates at Forbes Field, and the Cubs had, you know. Um, I think it was, a, it was two, one, one or two run lead. Well, he comes in, gets a ground ball out to make it. You know, it was a two run lead, making a one run ball game. You know, doing fine. Struck out Gene Alley. The next guy up is Roberto Clemente with a runner on base. So okay. DeRocher comes out and tells him, "Now listen, Connors, don't walk him. Don't give him anything good to pitch. Any good pitch." <laughs> so Billy, you know, you know, the scouting reports were so much different in those days. Billy had oh, no yeah. idea that Clemente like pitches up and away to hit the to right field. <laughs> so he threw the <laughs> fastball up and away. Clemente hit it into the right field pavilion, two run homer. Pirates oh. go up four three. So after Billy gets the third out and he's walking into the dugout, DeRocher is screaming at him to, to so he can hear him. We saw the Yosh Kawan, a longtime called equipment man. And is, and he hears Yosh, Yosh, pack this MF's bags. He's going to F and die in Tacoma, which was then the Cubs triple A team. Well, what, then Billy goes, you know what happened? I went, he sent me to Tacoma, and I, and I F and died there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, uh, but you're your right. Time, and, and, you know, but you're right. The story's both in and outside the game. I mean, it's, you know, oh. I mean, baseball is one of those rare games. You know, I mean, the other sports can't compare like some guy will do something, and someone will, someone will, will do research and find out that it hasn't happened since 1885. Right, right. <laughs> That's right. Oh my God. Well, well thank you, you for you coming know, on tonight. We got Mike. Oh, one, one, one of the ones that that excuse me, one of the ones that Pat talks about is the former one of the uh, the Mets owners, M. Donald Grant. And yes. I can remember, uh, uh, you remember him, and you know, and we talked about this last week. And I can remember M. Donald Grant uh, at Bellevue Stratford, the 76 All-Star game. Don, you remember that because Bob Vitrone was running the, uh, uh, the the media room upstairs at the Bellevue. Right. 
and and you know Johnny Bench and his entourage. They all P Rose. They all came in after the game for dinner, and I'm there with my buddy, and we're trying. He I, he's a Mets fan, and I said to him, "Go get his business card," and he wouldn't do it, so I did. Well, he didn't have any more business cards. He signed the back of the uh, a check and ripped the check in half and gave my friend his uh, his check from First National <laughs> City. And my friend thought, I said, this crap book. I said, you can clean his account out tomorrow. I mean, it was oh. crazy, you know. Well, oh thank you God. very much. Mike Simchek is uh, hanging in there in the wings, Tommy, so bring him in. Doug, we got to okay. have you on again. It was great. Well, I'll tell you what. Anytime, just so let me know. Well, well, anytime, because we still have plenty of time before we start getting baseball going again. Yeah, you're <laughs> right about that. <laughs> thank you, Mark. Okay, right, thank you. Mark. Have a good night, guys. Take care. Have a great week, thank Doug. You, Mark. Thank, thank you, Mark. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, thank you. Bye bye now. Oh, oh, it's time I, for soccer was time. it Mark? Or, I'm sorry. Was it Mark or Doug? This Mark. Mark. <laughs> Mark I'm okay. sorry. I thought it was. Doug. Oh no problem. We got talk some soccer, but, Mike Simzak. Mike, good evening. Forgive me, Mark. Yeah, Roger. At least, uh, please don't call me Fred. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Which I would never That's do that. Mike, I know it's you, Mike. <laughs> That's okay. How, how, how are y'all doing this week? Good. How about you? Doing great. I can't complain a bit. Uh, with uh, the Premier League starting today, it means that all major European soccer leagues that are going to be playing are now back in season. We had uh, Spain returning this week. Um, they were playing in Italy again, and now England's back. So that means the big four are back up and at it, and we're uh, about, uh, what, a little under a month away from the uh, MLS tournament down in Orlando, where the Union will be playing uh, New York uh, NYCFC uh, and the two expansion clubs, Inter-Miami and Nashville, in their group stage games. So you'd have to fancy their uh, ability to get out of the at least the group stage into the knockout rounds since the union have one thing that those teams don't, and that's a point right now on the MLS season because uh, neither Inter, uh, Nashville, or uh, NYCFC have even won a game yet. Hmm. Well, the one thing you can say is that uh, – you know, a lot of a lot of activity, uh, uh, as you point out, not only in MLS but all around the world now, and uh, uh, also some comments from around the world about how they're playing with no fans in the stands. You mentioned that two to one game a minute ago, and uh, uh, you know it's a big win. But at the same time, they were talking about, hey, how do you play this game with nobody here? And they're putting what false, they're putting some false. Uh, uh, Sound, sound in there to make it appear if you're watching uh, that there's people there. Now the the sound is only on TV, right? So, if, for instance, on NBC, they made a big point of saying if you want to hear it, how the players are hearing it, then you can turn it into a stream that they call the um, natural sound, which is so. There's absolutely no sound in the stadium. The sound is a pre-recorded track that they record that. Uh, from the home team stadium that they're playing um, through for the television. So the odd thing right. is 
what we get over here is something totally different um, sound-wise than they may get on a different broadcast, say, over in England. But the sound is only artificial for our benefit. And I think the big problem was that they realized you could be in line for some FCC violations because it was picking up everything the the, the, um, players were saying. And just work that one out on your own. You, You could be picking up a few choice words. Um, because there really isn't anything. It's just cavernous echo when you listen to it without the ambient crowd noise. At least that covers up some of of the players and the coaches yelling back and forth at each other. Well, you know, in the NFL, Mike, you know, it's against the law to pipe it in because remember the Falcons got fined when they were piping in and and raising the crowd level at the old uh, uh, Georgia Dome. Yeah, but the, the difference in between this, Roger, and that is um, they were piping it into the stadium. The only yes, people right. who are hearing any crowd noise are the people who are watching on TV. The players don't hear okay. any of that. Okay. Well, I think one of, from a background standpoint, Mike, and, and they did a very a very good piece in the New York Post today about how they're going to uh, telecast the Belmont this coming Saturday. Uh, you know, one of the biggest races, uh, even though it's out of order and it's only going to be a mile and an eighth instead of a mile and a half, it's not really, not really the Belmont. But uh, the, the shortage of people they're going to use as far as the crew is concerned, they're going to use some of the camera work that the track uses itself. Uh, mm-hmm. But they are going to have uh, much more con- uh, conversation between the outriders and the the riders when the, when the horse is won, they're going to be all wired up so that they can talk to them. And uh, I, I, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see whether that makes a difference as far as the fandom is concerned watching the race. It's still very eerie because to, to watch these games because you re- you recognize and the stadiums are empty in the Premier League. They covered up. The, state, the seats with advertisements and banners and stuff like that. Now in uh, right. other leagues, they put um, fan, they put cutouts, um, fans paid to put cutouts right. in the stadium, so it looks like there's a crowd in there. They, they've done different things, and I think it's it's an interesting way that they've gone on about it since Germany started a little more than a month ago, we've started to learn like, okay, here's how we can cover this game. Here's how we can, we can broadcast these games. And a lot of it comes down to production. And mm-hmm. they were actually, there was really a weird fluke thing uh, in the one premier league game. The first one that they played today, for some strange reason, the Hawkeye broke for the first time in 9,000 games. Mm that they've used it in because the camera angles around the goal were interfered with by the post and players. So it couldn't register the goal, the ball going over. And I wonder if that was how they set it up because there weren't any fans in the stands. Wow. Well, Mike, let me ask you this, Mike. You're, you, you know, you're a, you know, let's face it, you're a soccer aficionado. We're just on the outside looking in a perimeter. What do you think in watching these games now? Are you – are you equally impressed with what you're seeing now as to what you saw last year or what you saw in a playoff or how you've, how you've observed soccer up to this point? It has been a much different game. One of the interesting stats that came out from Germany was that 
only 20% of the games have been won by the home team. So we, all, we argued up and down whether or not there was actually a discernible home field advantage to be had, um, and whether or not that was real. And it looks like there is something to it. When 20% of the games were being, are, have been, since the restart, have been won by the home team, as opposed to 43%, leading into uh, the match, they said that the ball has stayed in play an average of uh, 10% longer per game because there's not a lot of delays. There's nobody playing through the crowd. Uh, You've certainly seen, as far as the players, a certain amount of rust, which I think um, is easily attributed to when you have a 100-day layoff and you only have three weeks to get back into shape. Yeah, there's going to be some rust. But by and large, the games have been interesting. They've been watch, watchable. Uh, I haven't noticed a tremendous drop-off in the level of play. It's not like all of a sudden I feel like I'm watching like high school soccer as opposed to professionals playing. You can still see a lot of good play, and it's interesting. I think that more than anything else, I think that what we're seeing in soccer and the reason we watch it, pay attention to it, is this is kind of kind of give us an indication of what we can expect when uh, basketball and when the NBA and when hockey restart. And I think those leagues are watching to see what they're doing over in Europe as far as the production and how they're handling, like, different things that the uh, European game has introduced, like the potential putting fans on the Jumbotron, because, you know, you're not really using the Jumbotron for much anymore, um, and turning that into a video wall for fans and stuff like that. So these sort sort of things that they're doing over there, it's going to be really interesting to see what lessons uh, certainly, uh, major league—not uh, major league baseball, both baseball, uh, basketball, hockey, and football—take from this because these guys have been doing it for a couple of months now, and they've kind of set the template for how you handle this situation. That's right, Roger. Well, you know, I was just checking uh, uh, on the internet about. The effect of the virus in Germany, uh, Mike, as you were alluding to now, and uh, they've had some serious uh, uh, flare-ups, but one of them was in a slaughterhouse, and we know we've had that here, too, you know. But uh, I guess, how about, how has it affected the players? Have there been many uh, incidents where uh, some of the uh, players have uh, gotten the virus? There's been no reported positive tests since they restarted playing. So since they started testing players, it hasn't been like somebody who tested negative has then tested positive. So in the first mm-hmm. couple of rounds of testing, and these guys, I believe, are getting tested like every three days, um, mm-hmm. and they're having temperature checks and stuff before they, they enter the games. They're showing up in uniform. They're not allowed to use the changing rooms. Um, there are some weird quirks that I, I think I've mentioned. Like you see all the substitutes sitting up in the, uh, the stands, not on the bench, but then they're all up against each other when they're playing. And I kind of wonder about those social distancing things, but I think that's just one of the rules that was written in to enable them to play. But I haven't heard any reports out of any of the leagues of a player who contracted the virus 
as a result of being back and playing. So they've done a really good job of keeping them in a closed ecosystem, which is what they're going to need to do, uh, by and large, for, for, for these sports as they come back. Even with them traveling, you know, they're, they're playing these games in their actual locales. So the teams in Germany, the teams in England, the teams in Spain, they're, they're, they're traveling. And they're also playing a lot. We're talking about pretty much playing, you know, in England they're going to play 92 games in a little over six weeks. So wow. the teams are going to be playing once every, simply once every 72 hours. And for wow. soccer, that's a lot. That, that, that would be that about a lot. the equivalent, I guess, of playing back-to-back-to-back every week in the NBA or, or back-to-back um, in hockey every week. For, for, for well, my, my family is you, you made a you, – you made what I think was a key point earlier when you talked about uh, the number of visiting teams and how well they're playing as opposed to, uh, you know, the home team. I mean, what did you say, 30%? Is that what you said the number was? 20, 20, 20, 40, oh, uh, almost 40%. Uh, I think it was 43% away okay. right now. Okay. Right. My feeling is, and, and get your get your point on this, my feeling is, that that's the difference between the home court and not the home court because the officials are going to call the game differently if there's nobody in the stands. They're going to call it more realistically, I think, if there's nobody there, and therefore that's the visiting team has a great chance to win. That's a good I point, think there's God. a lot of that. I think that you're starting to see where games that are – you're not being able to gain any momentum from the crowd. And the team that can go in and focus and has the talent, you know, in the course of this, what we haven't seen are many, if any, upsets where a Mm -hmm. team who is way down in standings is able to snatch one away and get a draw or, or win that they probably otherwise wouldn't. So the teams that have gone in are able to it's we you want to say filter out the, the noise, but there is none, but are able to go in, focus, get their job done, and play and get into their rhythm and deal with the atmosphere. And whoever does Yeah, but I'm not talking about the players. Way. I'm talking about the officials. I'm talking about the officials. The officials, in my view, are going to are going to officiate the game differently if 90,000 people all right, the stadium is it holds ninety thousand. If ninety thousand are there in Spain watching the game, they're going to be a lot of very, very questionable calls, and they're going to go on the side of the fans. Well, yeah, I agree, you Don. Point. You know, be a lot I, and I would agree. You know, if you have, if you're at the uh, Bernabeu in Spain, which nobody is because it's under construction, and you have uh, eighty, ninety thousand fans screaming that that was a foul or that was a penalty, you might be a little bit swayed. And I know that that's been the case. And we see that in the NBA. You know, when we talk about the discrepancy in between fouls for the home team and fouls for the visiting team, right? So you're right. I think you do have a point, Don, that you're getting a much more honest game called. Not to say that the reps are perfect, but you're certainly Mm -hmm. getting a much more honest game. 
And the other thing that I like about what I've seen is there hasn't been any real theatrics. We're not seeing any of the diving. We're not seeing any of that sort of stuff because there's no crowd to play to for the players. That's another thing. <laughs> That's a good point, Mike. <laughs> no, no more Billy Barber That's dives. That's a very dives. good point. Yeah, no more Billy Barber dives. <laughs> I can't yeah, explain that. So that's been a good one. That's why I think the game has been a lot quicker and you've seen the ball stay in play because nobody's falling over. There's nobody doing there's nobody doing press. Right. Exactly. That's a great point, Mike. Have, you, have you been it. impressed with Mike? I have been. I mean, given the circumstances, I have been. I think the games have been really well played. Uh you've seen again, talent has shown through. The teams that are better prepared or used to each other have played really, really well. Um, you've seen some teams struggle. Uh, but it, it's really what you're seeing now is talent and coaching are going to win the day. And, again, I mm-hmm. think that's a trend that's going to carry across. It's not just a soccer thing. I think that's going to be a trend that carries across all the the, uh, the, the sports. You know, the teams that are the best prepared are going to be the ones that have the best chance of winning because there isn't going to be mm-hmm. the, the crowd. There's not going to be the rest. There's not going to be that that home field advantage we're going to see that we're so used to. Isn't going to be there anymore. I see. I agree with that. I think there's a big difference. I, that's my that's my feeling. I, I I thought from the very beginning that you're going to have a much fairer game play without uh, without any crowd because the umpires in baseball, if they're getting baseball season, uh, they're not going to. There's not going to be a lot of controversy about balls or strikes or plays or whatever because. Uh, that, that, that's going to be anybody there. You're, you're right, John. The other thing that I haven't Cow, seen, Cowboy Don, is a lot of arguing calls. don't have anybody to play to. Yeah. Right, I, right. You don't see a lot of calls being argued. You don't see hardly any calls being argued. Unless it's, like, outright egregious. And even then, like, the most egregious thing that I saw to the goal that wasn't awarded because the Hawkeye broke, and they set their piece to ref, he waved them off, and that was the end of it. Normally, he'd have a crowd of like eight or nine people around him yelling. You don't see that anymore. And I think that's going to keep in baseball as well. You're not going to see a manager go storming out to argue balls and strikes because no. what do they benefit from doing it? Right. The other thing is, yeah, go back to the MLS for just a minute because we are talking about when they bring the tournament down here and start six months. Uh, mm-hmm. You just mentioned how you're going to play 90 games in so many days. What are the... What are they going to do down here in this seat? How many games are they going to be able to play? Or uh, is it going to be like every other day? How, how are they going to get this number of games in? Well, uh, okay, so that tournament has um, a lot fewer games, and that should last. I think the tournament was like July 8th to um, uh, mid early August. So okay. the group stage, each team is going to play three games, they'll probably play every fourth day and then they'll play the knockout mm-hmm. rounds. They'll probably they'll be about three day seventy two hours in between games, which is the bare minimum mm-hmm. that you can uh for a soccer for, for soccer. You ha- you can't play any quicker than uh I think seventy two hour turnaround is, is the norm. So they'll they'll be playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. But again, that's mm-hmm. going to be pretty more. tough when you're a, from a conditioning standpoint. You're, you're talking about not having much time to, to, to condition to play, and then you're going to try to play that many games in that short a time? Well, that's why they've, exe- they've uh, extended the benches so that now got, the teams can dress uh, 12 players 
when they only used to be able to dress um, 18, and they're up right. with subs from three to five. So now all the teams will have five substitutes to rotate through instead of the normal three. That should okay. help keep uh, keep guys fresh. So you won't have – I mean, having the ability to substitute out almost half of your team, five substitutes in a soccer match is huge. That gives you the ability to sub out half of your outfield teams. Like, really, unless there's an injury, nobody's going to sub out a goal. Oh, that's right. Okay, Doug yeah. Hamilton is next up, ready to go. That's a good PGA point, Mike. Mike, Mike, thank you very, very much. You always appreciate it. I'll give you a call. Have a great week. Doug, we had an outstanding tournament last week. There's going to be another great tournament this week, but Charles Schwab put on quite a job, and I talked about it earlier. You know that you couldn't mm-hmm. ask for a better field, a better field than they had, and a better finish, Doug. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know it uh, was pretty tense there towards the end. Um, you know, normally uh, you and I, as we talk about this, I, I have been. I was telling uh, Frank um, when he when he passed me through here. Uh, life life in the the Hamilton world has been pretty crazy recently with. Uh, you know, trying to find an assistant to work in the shop, which I did, uh, which is nice. Um, and then, um, you know, we've been incredibly busy, um, you know, with, with, uh, ridiculously nice weather, um, and just a, a multitude of, of play. And obviously father's day weekend is always a, a pretty solid line of demarcation with, with people, uh, in the swing of things, so to speak. And, and dads get the free pass to get out of the house. So, you know, we're going to be busy this weekend. Um, and as I told Frank, I said the house went up for sale, and I've had 16 showings in three days. So it's been pretty. It's wow. been a revolving door through there. Uh, wow. My 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 uh, my mom my mom has been such a such a sweetheart to to help me with uh, all the different things in the house with with the cat getting him out of there so people can walk through it and and you know being the wow. ticket taker to have people come by and take a look at the house because it's been ridiculous uh with with the questions and emails and texts and different things about stuff so um I didn't watch point of that point of that was I really didn't watch much of the golf um I did see a lot of the um you know the fallout with regard to that guy missing some some short putts and uh, Daniel Berger uh win, winning uh, that tournament which was great for him um he played pretty solid all four days and um, you know, it was it was nice to have uh, a sporting event kind of unfold live right. before your eyes that you could that you could watch. Um, and what was your opinion, uh, Don? You know, with with the uh, no fans there, how how did that make you feel? I'll tell you, I, we talked about it all through the broadcast about looking at the future and and uh, what I thought the I thought the tournament was really well handled. And I didn't miss the crowd at all. I uh, <laughs> the one thing that struck is I read. I read on Tuesday, and I mentioned that the, when Berger won, there's one person mm-hmm. uh, that bet $1,000 on Berger who was 50 to 1. Yeah. And he he's the only one that won it. He's in Denver. And uh, so he picked himself up a nice piece of change at a 50 to 1 shot. And you you and I talked I about speech last week. And I, yeah. I thought speech, he, he, he gave me a real run for my money until the last six holes, seven yeah. holes. He, he he was in the hunt there for a while, but you know it's funny when you talk about odds and those sorts of things, and 
I'm not sure how well versed you or our uh, listeners are, you know, with, you know, you've got the Belmont coming up uh, this weekend. So, right. I mean, we, we've all, we've all seen horses that, that should have been destined for the glue factory that were 50 or higher odds to one win <laughs> races. And you think to yourself, how is it possible that someone came out of pocket $1,000 to bet on somebody that was 50 to one? Like what is the actual percentage <laughs> chances of, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, it, it's I, not like I, I have no idea. I have no you know? idea, right? I mean, it's not like someone well, someone so knocked on your door. Speed was fifty to one too, but I didn't bet thousand dollars on him. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, th- hey, listen, think think to yourself for just a second. If somebody knocked on your door and said, you know what, if you leave your house today, you have fifty to one odds that you're going to hit get hit by a fire truck. I mean, what would you think in your mind? <laughs> Stay right? home. Stay home. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so who who the hell's going to bet a thousand dollars on somebody who's fifty to one? Well, somebody no, did. Somebody <laughs> must have had a draft, big draft king uh, in Denver. I'll tell you, big. somebody did. That's who they. That's who booked it. Sure. Right. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what. That that individual's got all kinds of money. If his if that's if that guy's listening to this show right now, I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Doug, I know I talked to Don about this yesterday. I had the pleasure of uh, being over, up and down, all over, uh, all around Marion Golf Club. And I got to tell you, it is one. And I grew up there, you know, 10 minutes away, went to high school there and everything else. And I got to tell you, that's the first time I have ever been on there and got to meet a number of people. It is sure. one spectacular place, mm-hmm. and they uh, they're going to have they I guess they're having the U.S. Uh, amateur there next year, right? Or two years? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's booked. And I know you know you know I was there because I to- I uh, I was at another place when I called you, left a message. Mm-hmm. But the other thing yeah. is that I'm I'm learning because of you fellows. I am becoming more aware of golf courses. And there is an absolute gorgeous one that's right by my house. And I drove in there, and it's called the River Creek and Preserve. And, boy, the clubhouse and everything. Don, I don't know whether you've ever played there or not. Or, Tommy, I don't know whether you played there when you're up at at Nick. I have not. Uh, That's the first I've even heard of it, Roger. Mm -hmm. I know. And I go by it every day. And I drove in there on Sunday night. And I want to tell you, it is the homes, everything. And but I mean, of course, at Marion, uh, I mean, the mm-hmm. homes that are like right on the uh, course are just phenomenal. <clears throat> and uh, but thanks to you guys, you know, I really mm-hmm. uh, have gotten into uh, 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 golf in a sense, and uh, mm-hmm. I've picked up uh, some uh, petroleum business uh, at golf <laughs> courses, which is good. Sure. Well, there you well go. I wanted to. Roger, I wanted to touch on that with you because I, I did get your message and I haven't avoided calling you back. But as I mentioned earlier, I, oh, I don't know what day. Yeah. I don't know what day it is. I don't. I just want to make sure I have <laughs> at least one pair of clean underwear every day right now because it's getting it's getting to the point where I can't keep everything straight. So I, I would ask you. Um, I, I really don't know what our situation is with uh, the petroleum uh, concept at our golf course. I mean, I know that no, we no use big diesel, deal. obviously. Send me some information so that I can take a look at it and I can compare it with my uh, superintendent. Yeah, well, it, as, yeah, as it, we... it, it, it wouldn't be from us, but I'm, I uh, I know some companies down there in your area sure. that you know yeah. that uh, 
you know, that might, uh, you know, you Absolutely. might might work a deal. Who knows? Save some money. I'd, I'd like, yeah. I'd like, yeah, I'd like to take a look. So, Doug, well, Doug the ones that I, you I, can rest, you can be absolutely. Hold on a minute, Roger. The ones that you can be absolutely <laughs> assured of that where this beautiful country club is in Roger's neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. he's probably got himself about a million and a half dollar house about a mm-hmm. block away. So you can you can rest assured he he can walk over to this country club he's talking about. Sure, man, Absolutely. I wish that was the case. Let me tell you, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. he's he's got one of those uh, extendable uh, ball retrievers that he probably sticks through the fence and see what he can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's more like it, Doug. Yeah. Huh? That's the only club he, in his he, bag he, that he has regripped every year, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Frank, you know, it's funny you brought that up because I talked to Doug about this oh, a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. I have a wooden shaft McGregor's mm-hmm. that my father mm-hmm. had from back in the 30s. And I'm trying yeah. to unload everything that I have because I've tra- sure. you know, brought it around. I don't play golf. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have a, a, my a kids gave me a catalog about old uh, golf memorabilia. But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know you know where to go. I mean, yeah, you know, I don't know whether you go yeah. to, the, you know, a pro and uh, uh, who knows. And, you know, a number of these eBay. clubs. Uh, eBay. Yeah. Well, I've tried, I've tried that too, Don. The, uh, no I'll good? tell you what's interesting. No, it didn't work. The I will <laughs> tell you that the, uh, what is interesting is that what you do learn get, uh, going around, you're a private club, Doug. But I'll mm-hmm. tell you, it's amazing the ones that are the uh, controlled by the municipality, Upper Saucon mm-hmm. Township near me, beautiful club, beautiful. And then, if, uh, hey, uh, hey, Tommy, your old club, yes. Springfield, okay? Oh, yeah, I, I, that's all, right, part, right, that's right. all part of the uh, township. So that, that's mm-hmm. all under uh, the uh, township administration control. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's always been. You know? Yeah, it's always been. Yeah, it's always been. Yeah, that's what I found See, out. You want to tell you a story about the Springfield Country Club one day? Doug, you love this story, right? You mm-hmm. walk in there, and it's the pro shop, which is a small small place, not like it is now. It's a palace now. Mm-hmm. And but we, so we walked in there. Ron Ersick and Ron Ersick tries to sell you his shoes instead of golf balls. So he's at Clayton Park. So one day, you know, walked in there. My golfing buddy of mine, Harry Beggar, walking in there, and that's so yeah, just walked down on the first tee. It was comp there on, on Saturdays. We went back to have lunch in the clubhouse, and club in Jersey was comped on, comped on Sundays. And I, and, and, and I went back. Last time I played there, Roger, had to be like five or six years ago while staying with Nick. And I went there, and the, and the, the lady pig said, well, sorry for the greens have been bad conditions. She said, lady, I played this course when I was a cow pasture. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm tell you, the one good thing about the one good thing about Jersey is Monmouth County and Mercer right. County have some of the nicest public golf courses you could ever play on, and you know mm-hmm. they're not that expensive. Uh, and so I, mm-hmm. I think New Jersey could be very proud, at least in those two in those two counties, Mercer and Monmouth County. Mm-hmm. They they've got great golf courses. Yeah. Oh, well, sure. I think. I think, Don, what you see a lot of is in, in a lot of these uh, different places where you can go to play golf, it's it's very polarizing. You're either going to get 
some of the finest country clubs with a lack of public, you know what I mean, or, or, or you know, semi-private clubs, you're going to get the you're going to get the opposite, which is a lack of country clubs and you know an awful lot of public facilities. So, um, you know, you have a lot of you know management companies that have taken over um, and run some of these uh, golf courses. I mean, you're you know your 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 old school you know uh, super private country clubs are kind of tucked into certain areas and niches, um, you know, that, that are tough to find at some point. So Ron Jaworski well, is yeah, a well, big guy, golf club owner. He's got a lot of them. Okay. Yeah. And he's got the, yeah. the one uh, down there uh, off of, uh, off of the uh, 295. And I'll tell you, there's another one down there. That's an absolutely gorgeous place. And it's, I didn't even know it existed until we went there for a uh, shower and it's right on the Delaware River. And they've got all mm-hmm. kinds of sports activity and an arena there. And I, I didn't even know the place existed. And I lived in New Jersey mm-hmm. for 30 years and covered it. But I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what else, uh, what I did, I'll tell you what was interesting. And, I, and then I'll, I'll shut up. I'll, what I was, <laughs> was amazing was at Marion to see everybody out there walking. Okay, because you can't have any, uh, you know, no carts at Marion. You can't have any what, right? You can't have any carts. You can only walk at Marion. Roger, that's wow. real golf. That's real golf, mm-hmm. Roger. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe you have to walk. You're kind of, you're, you're so used to down, so, down where, Frank, we're so used to down here, we can, you can't walk these golf courses. You have to take a cart for these golf courses off. The hell we get in the length of these golf courses are down here. So I don't know. I don't know what is it done for me to walk a golf course. I'm so spoiled about the carts. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know how to walk, to walk through the thing. Doug, what is your tip for the week? I got a question for you. I'm hitting, you know, hitting the, the graphite irons, but mm-hmm. I'm hitting the thing darn short. Should I go back to my steel yeah. shaft and try to hit the ball a little farther? Because these things here, I tried for a couple months. You know, my, every time I hit the ball, it's always short of the hole. Mm-hmm. And take up other stuff. It's, it's it gets close to the hole. What do you think I should do? Yeah, um, I, I would um, quit and play tennis or bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just mess, I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with you. Have you, uh, <laughs> Tommy? Have you noticed uh, that? So you're noticing a difference in in your distances. Have you noticed a difference in your accuracy? Are you more accurate with the graphite irons, or no? I sometimes yes, sometimes no. But uh, yeah. I used that the five wood that I gave set was going good, and the three wood's going good. But I think I'm mm-hmm. losing distance. I'm losing distance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, it's it's quite a possibility that the graphite uh, irons that you have are too flexible for you. Um, maybe they're a, a light shaft or a senior shaft, or they're just flat out too light in terms of uh, o- overall. Um, I mean, if you feel comfortable with uh, steel uh, shafted irons and you, you play enough golf that you can still handle them, um, I, I, I right. would go with what you feel comfortable with. I mean, a lot of times people go to graphite as they uh, get a little older because it, they can they can build additional swing speed. Uh, but if if you're playing enough golf and you're still feeling good about, you know, Yes. Um, length, you know, the length of your swing and your impact positions and all those sorts of things. Then I, I would, I would stick with what you like and not, you know, take take a step backwards because you think you should because it's a little softer feel or or what have you. I mean, most people, um, 
hit their driver and fairway woods and hybrids uh, with, um, you know, with graphite shafts in them because the, the tendency is to hit those a little higher, which typically maximizes diff- uh, distance. Uh, but in your case, if you're, you know, if you're taking a, you're taking a little divot and you're feeling comfortable at your impact positions, and I, I would stick with the steel. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. How much you? Yeah. How much you, should I send you the bill in the mail or what? You gonna send me a bill no. in the mail? You know, uh, I, I, I can honestly tell you guys that, uh, you know, and I've said this before, but I, I've learned uh, this this whole experience of being a part of the show has been uh, enlightening for me to, to learn from some of the best of, of you guys doing this for a lifetime as announcers and Hall of Famers. And um, the uh, demand, I think, for coming on the show and, and having people listen to you and, and being able to, you know, uh, focus on complete thoughts and, and it's unscripted, which is, which is the beauty of the show because I never know what you're going to ask me. It's not like I can do homework and say, okay, well, we're going to cover these topics. So it's, it's right. all over the board and it's all over the place. And it, it, it opens your mind uh, to, to being flexible with, with thinking on the go and, and trying to formulate intelligent responses so that people think you have half a brain when you speak on here. So it's been great for me uh, to listen to you guys and get tips from you and, and all those sorts of things. So you know, that one's on me, buddy. We well, learned, I'll tell you one thing, you guys. Uh, talking about we had we had to talk football for a while. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, I have such respect for the Ravens, not only from what they did from a management standpoint, but a coaching standpoint. And here we get a brand new coach coming in to take over the Giants, and they get a they get a Baker with a fifty thousand dollar robbery, and then they got today right. they get their kicker. With a hit and run at 100 miles an hour and no license, or I'm sorry, right. suspended license, hit and run mm-hmm. uh, at 100 miles an hour. Now, wow. it's unbelievable. Where do they get these guys? You know, not for long. Uh, not for long. It, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, I was taking a step backwards. You know, I, I was uh, watching the the Major League Baseball draft uh, as we were as we were talking last week and. Was was kind of scratching my head at some of the picks the Orioles made with you know with not a lot of arms in their minor league uh, pipeline to to take a multitude of five of, I think five of their six picks were position players and then you know on the back end of that with this with the new rule of the draft and only having five rounds then everyone else who didn't get drafted becomes essentially a free agent that can get signed for twenty thousand dollars and they went out right. and signed five different five different players four of which were pitchers so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just it's, I make, it scratches my yeah, I make I, I I shake my head because I, I keep wondering like well how, how are we going to you know develop uh, somebody that can win some games at the major league level if we're not drafting these guys uh, so you know it just it's crazy but um, to answer your question uh, Don you know you you just you never know I mean you can only do your homework and, and hope that hope for the best when it comes to a lot of these people that you draft or invite to your camps and whatnot and hope they do the right things and you know hope that they you know, conduct themselves as a, as a professional and uh, on the field and off the field. Um, and unfortunately there's a, uh, there's a disconnect there in some of these cases where, where some of that might go to their head and they might make, you know, stupid rash decisions or have a few bucks in their pocket. And, you know, it always makes you wonder, like, if you're going to go out to a, a bar or a nightclub or wherever you're going to go, that's going to involve you, you know, consuming alcohol, then you have enough money. Why don't you, why don't you get somebody to be your designated driver? Why don't you get somebody to be your Uber? Why don't you get a cab? Why don't you do something that's, you know, uh, you know, befitting, if you will, of the position you're in as a professional, and not do anything stupid to, to jeopardize your career. So I don't have an answer for you, you know, when it comes to these things with, with these people that do that, because it doesn't make any sense. 
to me. Well, always mm-hmm. they got him off. They got him off the first time. He had, had mm-hmm. the Giants have only had him two years. Two years, but he, he, they got him off mm-hmm. before. I think he was twenty-one at the time for drunken driving, and uh, mm-hmm. but this time it was drunken driving and a suspended license and a hit and run at hundred mm-hmm. miles an hour. Yeah. So if you well, if, if done a little if you done a little homework, this guy's been in trouble. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, not just this year. I mean, he's been in trouble for a while. Right. And it was in Northern California, Don, where it happened. It yeah. didn't happen in uh, locally in New York or New Jersey. No, hey, no, he's uh, out in California. Hey, guys, Frank's at TikTok up against the clock today. The fastest two hour and a half hours on radio. Oh, it's <laughs> such a blast. Thing. Doug, thank you for coming yep. on. Thank you for the tip. Of course. Doug, have, have a great you. week. Yeah, always a always a pleasure, Doug. Great luck with the sale of the house and uh, Frank, yes, another sir. great job. Tommy Happy birthday Roger, to you, sir. talk to you next week. Have a great week. God bless and uh, Frank, we appreciate everything you do and uh the family and uh in memory of Bobby, I'll tell you what, uh seems like it was yesterday. God bless uh, God bless the whole family and him. Thank you. Well, Frank, thank you for your efforts again this week. Thank you for everything. Or Bobby will vote. Bobby's looking down us now. Said how we got away from that station with the dogs and cats and having a very successful radio. Now he's looking down at us, Frank. I know him. Mm-hmm. I spoke to him today. He said, "Have a great show tonight." I says Bobby, for you is always a pleasure. My family, your family, That's Frank, great. have a beautiful have a beautiful weekend and beautiful day. And, and please Happy be safe Father's out there, Frank. Day, Frank. Happy Father's Day, everybody. And Don. Yep. Look. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. And Frank, uh, guests, take it away. Thank you again, Frank. Take it away, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men of the United States Armed Forces and, and men, men of police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in a uniform, please acknowledge them. These are very, very tough times for everybody um, in uniform. These programs are, brought, you know, are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Banger, Patrol, Patrolman Jeffrey Azowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Crispin, uh, <clears throat> Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogo, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Tar- Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kalloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FTLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Sergeant. Uh, Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Police Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, uh, Philadelphia Fire Department, 
Debbie Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department. Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, uh, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, all you may be 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
Sniper. We love you and we miss you.